Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free Savage Nation podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But for those of you who have been requesting that we provide for you an ad-free podcast, we're going to keep doing that. And in addition to getting the ad-free podcast, which many of you want, for less than the price of a beer in a bar a month, only $3.99 a month, you're going to get an occasional monologue from me. Maybe I'll read from one of my novels. You're going to get an archive piece going back to 1994. Whatever comes up, you're going to get on an occasional basis. And if you want to join, simply go to michaelsavage.com and click on the exclusive club link. It's that easy. I hope you join the Savage Exclusive Club. I want to thank you very much for supporting the Savage Nation podcast, either the free version or the paid version. Your patronage, it's appreciated. It's that simple. Thank you so much for listening. Well, welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how the Democrats are directly or indirectly trying to turn America into the next Cuba and where this may lead. You say, oh, come on, you're crazy. Oh, really? Take a look at where they're going. Take a look at where most of them are coming from and take a look at their rhetoric and what they're saying about this country and about the middle class. Let's start with the news stories, and I'll let you understand where I'm coming from. I see the arc of things long before the average person does. Right now, we're in the beginning arc of worldwide and national communism in this country. The Cubans are rallying in Florida, and they're trying to warn America, saying communism is the last thing you want for a country like America. In America, we've understood now what's going on in Cuba. There's an oppressive regime that has been oppressing the Cuban people for a very long time, and it's pulled over finally. And right now, they're in the streets chanting for freedom. But beyond that now, the Cuban government um, is trying to silence them in their search for freedom. So we're here to support them because I believe it's important that we as Americans stand tall and stand true with the Cuban people. We have to make sure freedom stays here. We have to protect it because we are a light to other countries like Cuba. And with regard to freedom, we are brothers in this country. But that's not getting through to the vermin in the media. It is not getting through to the girls on campuses. It's certainly not getting through to the left-wing fanatics who are burning churches in Canada right now part of North America, by the way. 45 churches engulfed or attacked an ongoing anti-Christian terror campaign. And it is not Middle Easterners doing it. It is white communists, liberals, progressives, 
Antifa types. It's spanning six provinces, Northwest Territories, even on Native American reservations. Since June, there have been 45 attacks on Christian and mainly Roman Catholic congregations. Burnt to a crisp in suspicious circumstances. We are refugee Vietnamese. We come from Vietnam, escape Vietnam to come here. We get more freedom to live and we think that it is a good country. And now it happened in our church. We just passed the COVID, we come back, stop live stream, and we, we, uh, we must serve it offline the first day, and then it happened like this, and we think that it's maybe it's not safe to be here in Canada compared to Vietnam, maybe never happened like that. And the fake Catholic Prime Minister Trudeau actually sympathizes with the terrorists. If you can believe what's going on, this unprecedented anti-Catholic assault has been going on for quite a while, and the mainstream media refuses to call it what it is, a terror campaign. Christians are being forced to defend themselves or hire private security just to protect their holy places of worship. Far-left troops of the communist variety, of the type we have here in America burning down cities, are using these tragedies to advance their political goals and normalize violence against Canadians. The liberal media refuses to cover it, but the people in Canada are waking up to the hateful Marxist ideology that these terrorists are espousing and being egged on by Canada's progressive elites. Here in America, the churches are not being burned, but the psychology is there to burn down Christianity and Judaism. Here's a story. 4,000 sign a petition castigating legislative Jewish caucus for supporting a bill that revives rejected anti-Semitic ethnic studies curriculum and erases two years of work by Jewish community. Despite hearing from nearly 70 rabbis and more than 1,000 California residents and 75 religious and civil rights organizations about how AB 101, the bill requiring so-called ethnic studies for high school graduation, will actually enable the rejected and highly anti-Jewish original ethnic studies model curriculum into California classrooms. Every Jewish caucus member supported the bill in the assembly vote. Thousands of California voters said that's not okay, but it didn't work. And the petitioners pointed out that alarming new developments raised the stakes even further, including skyrocketing anti-Zionist motivated anti-Semitism. California school districts are now committed to to adapt the original anti-Jewish draft. And the two largest Socialist communist teachers unions in the state and several University of California ethnic studies departments, essentially those that are responsible for teaching for training high school teachers, endorsing a boycott of Israel. That's what's going on. And what you're saying, well, what does that have to do with massacres? I will remind you today that the burning of churches in Canada, the attacks on Israel in America is a form of a massacre in the making. Ask anyone who knows what communism was, what it is, and how it works and where it goes. Ask the Cubans who are rallying in Florida about what communism led to in their country. We have the radical left in this country that wants to move towards that authoritarianism. They want to move towards socialism and communism. But we have a perfect example in Cuba of what that turns into. And the American people need to wake up, see what's happening in Cuba, and understand that we don't want that here, and to stand with other people who are being oppressed by that type of authority. What they're saying to America is how in the world can you support the Cuban government? How can you support and attack the protesters in Cuba right now? When the president of Cuba right now, the figurehead of the Castro gang, responded to the people in the street urging so-called revolutionaries to violently assault unarmed protesters on the streets, describing his call an order of combat. That's what's going on in America. Antifa is the equivalent of the, quote, revolutionaries in Cuba now attacking those who want freedom. In response to the order from the dictator of Cuba, Diaz-Canel, both plainclothes and uniformed police officers unleashed a wave of repression on protesters that included shooting at them, attacking them with dogs and public beatings. The vermin in the media like Anderson Cooper, the worst one in the history of American media, That slick-suited scumbag, I don't use words like this, I despise these people. They're the reason America is dying. 
It's Anderson Cooper. It's Wolf Blitzer. It's Jake Tapper and the other snotty vermin in the media who are not reporting what's really going on in this country. Have they reported on the use of police dogs, public beatings of those trying to, to have their freedom in Cuba? The Cuban regime also shut down the Internet to stem the flow of, quote, citizen journalist videos depicting extreme violence against them. Can you believe this? People who have come here to the United States as 20 years ago were looking for freedom. Many of them moved to Florida. Hardworking, real Americans. And what they're noting is that the lies in the media here in America are saying that the pandemic has ravaged the economy of Cuba. But it's not the pandemic. It's the fact that the vermin at the top in Cuba are siphoning off all the money, all the medicine. One of the emigres is saying people are dying of COVID. People are dying of other conditions and they have to stay home. They have to keep their dead relatives at home. This is in Cuba now because there are no supplies in the morgues. There are no supplies in the hospitals. The power goes off. The generators in the hospitals don't work and people die, he said. Everything, infrastructure, everything in Cuba is at the lowest limit right now. That's what we're seeing right now. But it's always been low. People got tired of it. So they're protesting. They got tired of it and they're protesting. Medical supply, uh, the pandemic, COVID, that was just the ice on the cake. That was the tipping point. For years and years, our, our healthcare system has been free, but it had no quality at all. Uh, education has been free, but there was no quality at all. Like, everything, infrastructure, everything in Cuba, it's, it's at the lowest limit right now. That's what we're seeing it right now. But it's always been low, and people got tired of it. Cubans are rallying in Florida saying communism is the last thing you want for a country like America. And yet the girls, the college girls, the potheads are out there rioting in America, trying to tear it all down and turn this into a socialist state. And the bug behind it all, the man who destroyed America, the man who destroyed a generation in this country is Bernie Sanders, now a high-ranking Politburo member under Joe Biden. It was Bernie Sanders, the lackluster piece of garbage, who brainwashed occasional cortex and millions of other stupid college girls like her into thinking America bad, white people bad, minorities good, socialism great. That is what's going on in this country today. And how do you stop it? I'm trying my best. Is it like shoveling S against the tide as it's coming in? I don't know. Can we stop it? If we don't, we're all finished. The only thing standing between our freedom and total dictatorship under the scum surrounding Biden and his gang is the Second Amendment. You wait and see what they're going to do. They're letting the minorities riot in the cities for a particular reason, and that's to say guns are the problem, not violent minorities. And instead of reigning in the violent minorities, instead of having one black leader stand up and say enough is enough, violence is not the answer, we don't believe in violence, they will come for your guns. At that point, we do not know the outcome of what will happen in this nation. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Since we're all sitting here talking about communism and how the left can bring about a massacre in America, I think it's important for you to recognize that critical race theory is the prelude to such a horrendous human event. I have studied the Holocaust in Germany since I'm 18 years old. People do not understand that it did not begin with Jewish people being herded in boxcars and gassed in gas chambers after being worked to death by the Nazis. It did not begin with that. It ended with that. How did it actually begin? It began with the degradation, the humiliation of the Jewish people in German society. Critical race theory is the beginning of the degradation of our white children in the schools by the left wing. In the past, I have done podcasts on the coming civil war and things of that nature. The left has been conducting a civil war for quite a long while in this nation. The right has done nothing. Instead, this government under Biden is actually bringing in the U.N. Human Rights Commission to investigate racism in America against blacks. When the podcast I did the other day is about the statistics 
showing that most of the crime against Asians, against Jews, against older people is a crime wave being conducted by young black males. And where are they getting the idea it's okay to do so? They're getting it from the liberal elite, if you want to call them that, at the top. And so I warn you, you liberals who may be listening to this podcast, if you still listen to a differing opinion, the left could bring about a massacre in America unless you stop this hatred now. It's not so much Sleepy Joe or the hologram in a basement. It's who is around him. They're the worst people in the history of America. Now, let me begin with something that hits very close to people with children in school, especially people who are of the Caucasian race, who are being picked on, who are being shamed, who are being basically driven to suicide. Children will commit suicide unless these bastards are stopped. Mother sues school after her biracial son refused to confess his white dominance. The psychopaths who have taken over the school systems are targeting white children and they're destroying their minds and their self-respect. If it was my kid, I'd do whatever's necessary, but I would not let my child be subjected to this trash, rubbish, racist, garbage called critical race theory. There is no such thing as critical race theory. It was created by a psychopath who hates white people. This came in the post-millennial. A Las Vegas mother sued her biracial son's high school after he failed a critical race theory class for refusing to confess his white dominance. As a result of the failing grade, her son may not get the chance to graduate. The school is called Democracy Preparatory Academy in Las Vegas, Nevada. And they forced Gabriel Clark's son, William, to take a mandatory course entitled Sociology of Change. Are you listening? The boy, William, refused to label himself as privileged and an oppressor because he is mixed race. The website states this, quote, in the class, William, along with all the students, was asked to publicly reveal his race, gender, religious, and sexual identities. Are you listening to this? This is child abuse. And then attached derogatory labels to those identities. Students were then asked to, quote, undo and unlearn their beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that stem from oppression, unquote. Are you listening to this? William was understandably reluctant to label himself as privileged or an oppressor. The profile goes on to say, adding this, while William is the only student in the class who appears to be white, he has light skin and green eyes, he is in fact mixed race. His mother, Gabriel, filed a lawsuit against the so-called high school after they allegedly threatened to keep her son from graduating. According to the lawsuit, the parents are seeking monetary damages, including compensatory and punitive damages for the damage done to William Clark's future academic and professional prospects and for the defendant's deliberate and protracted harassment, emotional abuse, and violation of plaintiff's constitutional rights. I was mostly outraged that... Um, this was being taught at all, but yeah. principally that they were asking my son to reveal identities that are protected. You can't do that at a job. You shouldn't be able to do it at a school. It's and it, it, so, it put a target on my son's back. If somebody didn't like what he had to say, then that would have put him in danger. And I think that that was that was a, a grievous wrong. He was asked to answer the questions and then the teacher would then scrutinize and and label whether or not his particular identities were under the category of oppressor or privileged or um, oppressed. They sure. didn't just violate my son's uh, civil rights. They violated all the children's civil rights by asking those questions. I suggest that if you are listening to this podcast and your children are being subjected to this kind of child abuse and racism, you get a copy of that lawsuit and you sue your school. This has to stop. This is all going on because Biden has become the bully in chief and they feel they can get away with any kind of racism against whites. So you could laugh at this and say it doesn't really affect you because it's just somebody else's child. You can put your head in the sand if you want. But I'm warning you. 
I see the truth and I don't wait. We embrace the vision of Martin Luther King where children are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The left is attempting to destroy that beautiful vision and divide Americans by race in the service of political power. By viewing every issue through the lens of race, they want to impose a new segregation, and we must not allow that to happen. Critical race theory, the 1619 Project, and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda, ideological poison that, if not removed, will dissolve the civic bonds that tie us together, will destroy our country. That is why I recently banned trainings in this prejudiced ideology from the federal government and banned it in the strongest manner possible. Well, that's about critical race theory. Now, where did this come from? Why are we hearing about it now under Biden? It's been around for a while, this garbage. Many of you think it can't happen here. A communist revolution cannot happen here. It has happened here. No, they've not yet rounded up people and killed them as all successful left-wing revolutions all do. Even then, it won't be a laughing matter, would it? You say it can't happen here? You have violent radicals, communists, burning down buildings in American cities. Even the other day in Portland, Oregon, you have liberal governors and mayors telling police to stand down while at the same time signing stricter and stricter gun control measures. Small businesses are being destroyed. Their market share effectively handed to multinational corporations that now openly endorse radical communist hate groups like Black Lives Matter. Big tech is erasing your presence online, which is the primary conduit for conversation in 21st century America. Big tech is erasing that conversation if they don't agree with it. Four men erasing your conversation. Disarmed, impoverished, and defenseless it is but a small step for them to demand obedience to their every dictate or make you disappear completely, either literally or figuratively. It is happening here. And it is not beginning in schools, but it is happening in schools. Now, what I'd like to do for you is give you a, a note of hope before you turn this podcast off. Where is there any hope of people willing to stand up to these Black Lives Matter brainwashing thugs and the left wing brainwashing thugs? Strangely enough, it's coming from Asian Americans who are emerging as a strong voice against critical race theory. Right. You didn't know that. Who are they? Who are the Asians standing up to these communists? One group is called the Chinese American Citizens Alliance of Greater New York, which has delivered the most vigorous rejection of race theory yet. What did they call it? They called it a hateful device of manipulative fraud. Now, this group is one of the oldest chapters of the Chinese American Citizens Alliance. It was founded in San Francisco in 1895 to respond to nationwide discrimination and violence against Chinese Americans. My friends, think about this. Who are these people? Here's an Asian group, a Chinese American Asian group standing up to the communists. And they're seeing what this is. They've been experiencing firsthand the hatred and prejudice of the communist left here in America. I know it's counterintuitive because you think Chinese, Chinese communism, but that's like saying all Chinese are communists. The opposite is true in America. In America, Chinese Americans and all Asian Americans by and large, most Asian Americans by and large, believe in education stable marriages, delayed gratification, hard work, and meritocracy. These are all called white values by the morons who run Black Lives Matter. They are the street thugs. Black Lives Matter is nothing but thuggery, criminality, in my opinion. Do you know that critical race theory attacks all of these as white values and the people who practice them as acting white? Can you believe how sick they are? Asian Americans know the opposite, and they're resisting these critical race theory narratives. And by the way, 
activists in CRT have tried to throw out Asian Americans from the people of color category. I know, I know you're gagging on this. They said Asian Americans are not students of color because they just don't fit in. Now, even as victims of hate crimes, Asian Americans discredit CRT's assertion that racial prejudice only goes one way from white people to people of color. We have seen hate crimes against Asian Americans on the rise in this nation. Every news story tells you about hate crimes against Asian Americans, but they don't show you who's doing it. They would like you to believe it's white supremacists knocking old Asians to the ground. Well, who's actually doing it? In Oakland's Chinatown, a 28-year-old named Yaha Muslim, he shoved a 91-year-old Asian man to the pavement from behind and attacked two other Asian seniors. Yaha Muslim is not a white supremacist. Also in Oakland, in broad daylight, two young men, not white supremacists, attacked a 71-year-old Asian woman by knocking her to the ground before yanking a purse so hard the strap breaks off. Hmm. Was it a white supremacist who did that? No. You'll never see pictures of those doing it. Critical race theory activists blame white nationalism for these hate crimes. But all perpetrators in these cases were non-Asian minorities. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It gets even worse. Communist agitators in uh, critical race theory claim that teaching math and science perpetuates white privilege. I'm not making this stuff up. It's crazy. Math and science perpetuates white privilege. Apparently, the people in critical race theory are stupid, and they can't do math and science. In an elementary school in Cupertino, California, where 94% of the students are not white, a math teacher told third graders in a math class that they live in a white-dominated culture and had them rank themselves according to their privilege on an identity map. Who stood up to them? Not you. Chinese parents organized a protest and they demanded the school stop teaching racism to their children and start teaching math instead. You hear this? It goes on. And I don't want to bore you with any more of this because what's happening here is right out of Hitler's Germany. The only difference is in Hitler's Germany, it was the Jews who were targeted initially. The Jews who were put into special training classes on race. You don't know this. In the early days of Hitler, the Jewish children who were still allowed to go to German schools had to listen to race theory in the schools. Did you get a chill up your spine yet of the wrong kind? Listen to me, my friends. This is getting very bad. It's getting very bad and it's going to get much, much worse. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. The left is trying to slowly turn the United States into Cuba or Venezuela, which will only lead to violence and death as it has throughout history. If you think it's all hyperbole, please don't listen any further. The leftists are filthy, dirty liars about this country. Stop the far left before they bring about another slaughter in this nation. So we're going to talk about the worst massacres in world history and man's inhumanity to man. I look around at the news, it's quite depressing. Democrats going after President Trump for imagined crimes, what he tweeted. Republicans going after Democrats for ridiculous plans that would break a nation. People are outraged because someone said something that was offensive to them, acting as though that was actually an atrocity. All of this means nothing. Nothing. All you have to do is look at real history. The history of man is littered with abuses, wrongs, genocides, slaughter, and massacres of whole villages. We were born as wild creatures who fought amongst ourselves for food, in tribes, in caves, killing each other for the leg of a prehistoric bison to eat. And it's very difficult, very difficult to see that we've changed very much. In the old days, in the early days, prehistoric days, there was killing to take shelter away from another clan or tribe, to take women away from another tribe. And even as we got civilized, the slaughter has continued. On each continent and on every piece of land, battles were waged, people were slaughtered, populations wiped out. Why? Well, to claim a stake over other people or take over a certain area. During these times, a higher class of society ruled over a lower class, keeping them as serfs and slaves to do the bidding of the upper class or the sovereign. These same people were used as chattel to fight battles. They had no stake in, only to keep the lords and princes and kings in charge. Using excuses such as land, wealth, power, religion, and even more menial things, rulers have used armies 
to wipe out entire populations of people, seeking that as the only means of being able to take what they wanted without fear of retribution. You see, there was no media then. There was almost no conscience then. Yes, man was rarely human to his fellow man. That is until the rise of the modern Christian era. Even in the Age of Enlightenment, when men were deciding that Almighty God created us all equally, and we should have a system of government in which the people ruled and not the ruling class, horrible atrocities were still being committed around the world. It was accentuated in the 19th to 20th centuries as weapons continued to become more deadly. And the 20th century, as civilized as it may have been, also may have been the most violent our planet has ever seen. Well, now we're in the 21st century in a relatively peaceful time. Yes, we see the unnecessary violence in the Middle East and Africa with major world powers playing chess with the lives of innocent civilians. But the world, for the most part, is not at war. Instead, here in America, we become outraged over gender pronouns and what a wall means. This is why it's more important than ever to put things in context, to learn and recall the history of mankind. And that is what I'm going to discuss today on the Savage Podcast, Slaughtered Through the Ages. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. When I was reading a book, I picked up a kind of beautiful book on the secrets of Ireland in a bookstore over the Christmas holidays. It was one of those gorgeous pictures of the Irish countryside with a little um, plaster house and a wagon in the fields. And it was beautiful, the pastoral scenes of Ireland. And I'm looking through it, looking at the ruins and the castles and the beautiful countryside. And I come upon a piece called the Rock of Cashel, Tipperary. And it's a beautiful castle. And I read, you know, each thing has a little uh, description. So it says, rising up on a limestone outcrop beside the Dublin to Cork Road is the great stone fort of Cashel with its 93-foot-high round tower scanning the horizon for potential attacks. From the 4th century, Cashel was the seat of the kings of Munster, and Brian Baru was crowned here in 977. In 1100, Cashel was handed over to the church, and a religious community flourished there until 1647. Now, hold on for a minute. So in 1100, this beautiful castle was given to the church, and a religious community flourished here until 1647. You know how long that is? 500 years? And then what happened? Cromwell's army laid siege to it, finally massacring its 3,000 inhabitants, all men, women, and children. So a Christian community is in this citadel, for 500 years, think about that. And Cromwell, the Englishman, who was trying to conquer or retake Ireland, takes one town after another, one castle after another. And when the castle's inhabitants and soldiers give up, Cromwell kills every man, woman, and child. So I started to read about Cromwell. I couldn't believe this. Because when I was a kid, you know, I read about Cromwell and I thought he was a great English hero of some kind. But England's slaughter in Ireland is something you have to know about for a couple of reasons, because it was not atypical. It was not atypical for the English to conquer villages and kill everybody in the village or the town. And so I started to look into mass murders throughout the ages. And I realized something. Right now, we think that mass murder only occurs when Muslims kill Christians, for example, in Africa. Or we think about mass murder during the Holocaust, when the Germans killed six million Jews and nine million other people, mercilessly slaughtering men, women, and children. Or we think more recently about the massacre in Africa of black upon black, the Hutu versus the Tutsis and such like that. And then you realize that not every mass slaughter is based upon race. In this case in Ireland that I was talking about, it was based upon religion because the English were trying to crush the Catholics in Ireland and take back the land. Of course, there was an economic element to it as well. And so where does that leave us when you realize that massacres like this of every man, woman, and child are not really atypical in human history? In fact, we're living through a lag phase right now in terms of what has been done in terms of man's inhumanity to man. It makes you really think about who man is and what a mad murderer the human 
the human species is compared to other animals. As my father told me when I was a little boy, man is the only animal who kills for pleasure. He told me that animals only kill because they have to eat. Of course, he wasn't 100% right. There are records now uh, that are more complete, which show that some animals will kill just for sport. Chimpanzees have been seen doing that. But getting back to our main story of atrocities and mass murders through the ages, we have to go no further than our own American Civil War. Where 600,000 men were killed for the war between the states. Where you see, well, what the heck was that about? Was it always about slavery? No, it wasn't. In fact, Abraham Lincoln himself said that the Civil War was not originally about slavery and ending it. It was about economics. It was about him dominating the new thing called he, the Union. He invented a new concept of Union. And that implied a strong centralized government and an imperial presidency. That's what Lincoln did. And that Union now dominates virtually every important aspect of our life today as Americans. But he used very clever egalitarian rhetoric, which you know was fought over brought the states together he was responsible for the war between the states our civil war a conflict in which more than 600,000 Americans were killed and for what purpose well it ended slavery okay that's very important but as I said to before if you really read history you'll see that Lincoln himself said that the war between the states was not about slavery originally it was about his power madness his desire to be a dictator in essence. And of course it led to the most tragic event in American history, which was the war between the states. Now don't accuse me of being in favor of slavery. I totally oppose that, as you well know. But the fact of the matter is, he himself has a public record. And the public record includes the fact that the president, the future President Lincoln, came from a state whose racist laws discouraged blacks from crossing its borders. I don't know if you know that. Lincoln himself was not an abolitionist, nor was he particularly sympathetic with black freedmen. He came from a state whose racist laws actually discouraged blacks from crossing its borders. If Illinois was opposed to the spread of slavery, it was because the state's citizens were opposed to the spread of blacks. That is the truth, and it's a matter of public record. So what was the war between the states about? It was about power madness and the economics of the North, the Northerners, who wanted to control the economy of the South as well. And it led to a slaughter that is beyond comprehension. And so we must look as well at the atrocities and violence of the Revolutionary War. There's a book by Holger Hook. He wrote the history of violence in the conflict between Great Britain and its rebellious colonies across the Atlantic. And it is really something you have to look at as opposed to the sanitized version of the American Revolution, which has been passed down through generations by the victorious United States. Hook paints a picture of what was in many ways not so much a revolutionary war, but a civil war with both sides committing atrocities. And you'll have to understand how this myth plays out. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I am going to read to you from a Boston Globe article by Wendy Smith on the dark violence and atrocities of the Revolutionary War. She tells us that the first chapter of this book called Tory Hunting begins with a grisly description of the tarring and feathering of an unpopular customs official in 1774. And this was one of the ways in which colonial vigilantes debased and defiled, humiliated and dehumanized their loyalist neighbors, Hook comments. And what happened next was persecution becoming official after the Declaration of Independence when Congress and the states passed confiscation and banishment acts. What were they? Well, you'll see in a minute what they were. Britain responded with dissolution warfare. British warships bombarded coastal towns. Falmouth, for one, was reduced to a smoking ruin. What happened next? The British Redcoats looted indiscriminately, seizing crops and property of rebels and loyalists alike. They didn't care. Plunder was often accompanied by rape. You heard me. 
Some British commanders instructed their men to take no prisoners. Wounded and defeated American soldiers were killed on the field. And when they were made prisoners, American soldiers suffered in conditions so terrible that mortality rates ran as high as 70%. Now, remember now, we're talking about the Revolutionary War. We're reminded in this article that the looting and appalling prison conditions were consequences of the limited resources available to an army engaged in war that were thousands of miles from home in Britain. In other words, they pillaged. And while the abuse of civilians and execution of defeated soldiers were rooted in the view that colonials were traitorous rebels who were to be suppressed by any means necessary. So what happened? Well, unfortunately for the Brits, these brutal tactics gave the Americans a priceless propaganda opportunity which they exploited relentlessly. What happened? The war had barely begun when in January of 1777, Congress appointed a committee to investigate allegations of British war crimes. Now, we are reminded that such a fact-finding mission in that time was unprecedented. And what did they find? The committee's report, which included some wrenching first-person testimonies, carried significant political and moral weight with audiences both at home and abroad, Mr. Hook states. It was part of the revolutionaries' consistent and successful strategy to depict the British as barbarous oppressors who employed excessive violence while General George Washington and his troops scrupulously observed the accepted 18th century rules of civilized warfare. Now, Washington is seen, according to this writer Hook, as a balanced, morally principled, ruthlessly pragmatic general. Why? Because any continental soldier that was caught looting was flogged, and Washington persistently begged Congress to maximize this deterrent by raising the number of lashes he was permitted to administer. Washington insisted that Americans treat their prisoners of war humanely, and usually they did. Usually they did, but apparently he did not consider Britain's Iroquois allies human beings. The book's most appalling chapter takes its title from the name the Iroquois gave Washington. They called him Town Destroyer. Under Washington's orders, the Continental Army carried out a punitive campaign that decimated the Iroquois' crops and homes with the avowed goal of the total ruin of their settlements. That's George Washington. And these scorched earth tactics employed against Native Americans raised hardly an eyebrow. But when the increasingly desperate British inflicted them on the white south, Hook writes, it alienated a war-weary population while reminding them of the purpose of their continued struggle. We learn that racism also played a role. Southerners were outraged that the British promised freedom to slaves who fought for them and used mixed-race raiding parties to attack plantations. One amazing fact epitomizes the moral messiness that Hook captures in such depths. Listen to this. Slaves owned by Washington and Thomas Jefferson were among those who fled to the British, and both men unabashedly retrieved their human property after Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. Let me repeat that. I don't think you know this. Slaves that were owned by Washington and Jefferson were among those who fled to the British, and both Washington and Jefferson took their slaves back after Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. Did you know that? Washington went on to advocate reintegrating loyalists into society with full rights and properties restored. According to Mr. Hook, he believed that, quote, after winning the Moral War, America also had to win the peace by conducting itself in accordance with international law and enlightened ethical standards. Well, we all know those words were just words. Coming near the end of a narrative that demonstrates how fluid and self-serving ethical standards could be. But there's really no implication that Washington didn't mean what he said. Like any truly valuable history, scars of independence, so-called, issues comforting good-bad dichotomies in favor of assessing the past and all its complexity and ambiguity. This amazing article by Wendy Smith for the Boston Globe is entitled Dark Violence and Atrocities of the Revolutionary War, which is another element of the darkness of man's inhumanity to man. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. We're talking about man's inhumanity to man, and now I want to talk about the worst massacres in human history. If you think that what we're seeing now is bad, wait until you hear about these massacres in human history. 
Massacre of the prisoners ranging from 9,000 to 100,000 former prisoners across Eastern Europe, primarily Poland, Ukraine, the Baltic states, Bessarabia and other parts of the Soviet Union from which the Red Army was withdrawing after the German invasion in 1941. 9,000 to 100,000 former prisoners were killed. Number two, the Yangtze Massacre. To send a message to all neighboring cities that resistance to being overthrown would not be taken lightly. On May 20th, 1645, 80,000 local residents of Yangtze, China, were slaughtered by the Qing troops, Q-I-N-G, led by Prince Dodo of the Qing dynasty, Q-U-I-N-G. Number three, the Hama Massacre. I don't know if you remember that. That's in modern times. That's a death toll ranging from 7,000 to 35,000. The executions were the work of the Syrian Arab army, an arm of the government, to quell the rising of the Muslim Brotherhood in 1982. Number four, Massacre of Thessalonica. One of the first recorded mass killings. Roman Emperor Theodosius I sent troops to Thessalonica in 390 AD and slaughtered 7,000 citizens, men, women, and children. Bodo League Massacre, encompassing somewhere between 100,000 to 200,000 deaths during the summer of 1950. The Bodo League Massacre included communist and suspected sympathizers during the Korean War. Bolton Massacre, occurring during the English Civil War. Royalist forces stormed and captured the parliamentarian town of Bolton on May 28, 1644. Led by Prince Rupert of the Rhine, 1,600 defenders were slaughtered mercilessly. And number seven, Babi Yar Massacre. Considered the worst massacre of the Holocaust, 33,771 Jews, Soviet POWs, gypsies, communists, and others were all killed between September 29th to 30th, 1941, in a ravine near Kiev, Ukraine. Number eight, the Odessa Massacre culminating in survivors being left to freeze outdoors after the village was destroyed the mass murder of over a hundred thousand ukrainian jews occurred as german troops invaded odessa ukraine and the surrounding towns of trans hysteria that's the odessa massacre this is very sad i want you to understand what has gone on in human history so when you listen to these scum sucking leftist telling you how bad America is it shows you how ignorant they are and what liars they are so listen a little more number nine September massacres in the hot summer of 1792 during the French Revolution the mob grew restless killing half of the prison population 1,200 people locked behind bars number 10 in Taiwan 30,000 civilians killed on February 28, 1947, when an anti-government uprising in Taiwan was violently suppressed by Taiwanese government troops. Now, what about the slaughter of the Armenians? Number 11. These are not ranked by numbers, but I'm just listing them. 80,000 to 300,000 Armenians. 50,000 children orphaned. Why? The Ottoman Empire wanted to dominate the non-Muslims. And they killed 80,000 to 300,000 Armenians, leaving at least 50,000 Armenian children orphaned. Why? All to reassert pan-Islamism as the state ideology. Never forget what the Turks did in the uh, Armenian massacre. Another 15,000 to 30,000 Armenians were slaughtered at the hands of the Ottoman Empire in 1909. The massacre of Armenian Christians, the Adana massacre resulted in a series of anti-Armenian mob violence throughout the district. 15,000 to 30,000 Armenians slaughtered again in 1909. Never forget the Katyn Massacre, K-A-T-Y-N. 22,000 Polish citizens and soldiers were executed by Stalin, the communist, on March 5, 1940. The poor Poles slaughtered mercilessly. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. You know, we've discussed some of the greatest atrocities that the world has ever seen and man's inhumanity to man today on the podcast, but you've got to hear from people who survived these things. This is from a CNN and France 24 report on the Khmer Rouge. I, I won't, I won't. They separated me from my older and younger brother here. That's why I cry. I don't know where they were taken to be killed. Some of us grabbed the knives and sticks from them and we fought back. Then I ran this way. 
The soldiers were shooting and the people on the truck had nothing. When the people got off the truck, they tied their hands. They walked the people to the hole they dug. Then they killed all those people. And then a second truck came. The most painful thing was when I was already wounded and they took a bamboo stick and stabbed me repeatedly in the wound. It was three days after I gave birth to my first son. Encore, the Khmer Rouge brought in some people. And then they killed them all in front of us to make an example, to teach us to obey. It's the reason why, since then, I see a man who runs very fast. He escapes into the rice fields. Then there is another man with black clothes. He shoots him in the back. Then he falls. This image always stays in my head. Now, this is from the USC Shoah Foundation, and it is a woman named Elise Taft describing what she went through during the Armenian genocide by Muslims. Let's not sweep it under the rug. The Muslims swept through the Armenian area and slaughtered hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children. The people were separated into two groups. One, some families had to go to Damascus because they needed us. And my brother, Garo, put some kind of a trade on every uh, life certificate. And the others went, supposed to go to Derzor. I saw with my own eyes a poor neighbor of ours from Bandarma. She couldn't walk anymore, and uh, they took hold of her and threw her into the burning fire. And my father's first cousin, Hagop, Der Hagopian, lost his mind in front of us. Then we were supposed to be the fortunate ones. Then we went, they put us on train again towards the Syrian desert. My baby sister died on the train there. She was only four years old. And my parents just buried her by the railroad tracks there. From there on, we had to walk again. And by this time, of course, the spotted typhus was, everybody got it, you know. And we were in the desert. I don't know how we lost each other. Had been five months since we left our homes in Bandarma. Now we were on top of the mountain and the people from the horizon, as much as the eyes could see, this column of human beings walked behind the same thing, and nobody said anything. They knew they were going to die soon, and they envied the ones that were dead already. The following report is from CBS News, and it's a young woman named Immaculee describing the genocide of the Tsutsis in Rwanda. Black against black, African against African. My father asked me to go to a neighbor to hide. And this neighbor was from the other tribe, a Hutu. He was a Protestant minister. He went through the house and opened the door of the bathroom and pushed me there. We were eight people. One time I stood up, I looked through this window, this little piece of window in the bathroom, and I couldn't believe what I saw. I saw the killers, they were coming to search. It was about maybe three to four hundred. They were going through the window like, one, wow, going, going. And they screamed loud like, we're going to kill Tootsies. We're going to find them. To know that somebody who's come to kill you, I mean, you are facing death in a few minutes. I remember in that moment I said, God, if you are real, if you exist, don't let them find the door of the bathroom. They searched for two hours and they left. For me, it was that moment that gave me back my faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Those who trespass against us as we forgive. What am I saying? You mean people who trespass against me are my neighbors who are killing me? You being mad at them, you getting angry, wanting to do what they are doing, doesn't change a thing. 
something just was so clear in that moment that told me everyone has a chance. Just to know that there is a chance this person can see the truth. That allowed me to let go that anger. The following is from Channel 4 in Britain. Lydia Tischler describes what happened to her at Auschwitz and how even evil as bad as that could not break her. Listen carefully the next time you're concerned about somebody insulting somebody on social media. Auschwitz was hell. Auschwitz really was hell. We were on the last but one transport to Auschwitz. The last transport were all the prominence in Theresien who went straight into the gas chamber. There were about 50 of us in a kettle truck with a bucket. That was it. Uh, we arrived in the middle of the night and uh, in Auschwitz you could smell the fear. You really could smell it. And we had to go through selection. Which, I mean, we didn't know it was selection, but that's what it was. Mengele, whom you may have heard, was standing there and he looked at you and then sent you to the left or to the right. The left was the side for living and the right was the side for, for gas. I knew that our mother, because she didn't come to the left, she went to the right. We were herded into a huge hall and told to undress and then somebody came and shaved all our hair and then we were herded into another room where we were sat on benches like in a theater stacked and by then people were people who had been there for some time told us you know you will go to the gas chambers and so we sat there, and I must say, I sat there and didn't know whether it would be water or gas. It was water. Day to day, life somehow, one just took every day as it came. Paradoxically, I, I got acquainted with cultural life in Terezin. I heard for the, you know, music, there were, of course, all the well-known actors, musicians, writers, professors uh, were also in camp. So there was a rich, uh, rich cultural and intellectual life as far as it was possible. So people just as went to, to Auschwitz and very few survived. I think one person escaped from Auschwitz, a Czech man who escaped and nobody believed in what he told them. The best way to remember it would be if people could learn from this experience uh, so that it's not repeated. And in fact, uh, it's something that I've never felt that I needed to revenge myself. I also haven't felt a victim. Uh, they didn't succeed in making me a victim. I'm a survivor, which is something very different. Please remember these stories and share them. It's the only way we can stop these atrocities from happening in the future. Would you please share today's Savage Nation podcast on all your social media? Stop the horror before it happens again. Stop the far left before they bring about another slaughter in this nation. For those of you who have been requesting that we provide for you an ad-free podcast, we're going to keep doing that. And in addition to getting the ad-free podcast, which many of you want, for less than the price of a beer in a bar a month, only $3.99 a month, you're going to get an occasional monologue from me. Maybe I'll read from one of my novels. You're going to get an archive piece going back to 1994. Whatever comes up, you're going to get on an occasional basis. And if you want to join, simply go to michaelsavage.com and click on the exclusive club link. It's that easy. You're going to get things you can't get anywhere else. And thanks for supporting the Michael Savage podcast. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have 
over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.